the Bible Study Podcast, episode 63. This is the 12th episode in a series on the Book of Romans. I'm titling Christianity 101. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Chapter 9 is what we're going to start with today in Romans, and that is over the halfway point. We are winding down at this point. This particular chapter deals with Paul's being Jewish, and yet knowing that many people who are also Jewish have not come to faith in Christ. And obviously that's still true today, but in Paul's day, he felt that very definitely being both Christian and Jew, and the two are certainly not mutually exclusive, as that was the case with all of the early church in the first 10 years. And let's jump right in here to Romans 9. Paul writes, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. As we look at how Paul looks at his fellow Jews who are not Christian, I think we really have to bring up the subject of anti-Semitism. And I hesitate, obviously, a little doing this, but clearly there has been a lot of, and I lack a better term, stupidity in the church historically in terms of how it views the Jews who are not Christian. These verses are very clear that Paul is looking at his fellow countrymen and he is saying he would just as soon that he were cursed so that they could believe. He cares greatly about them. And I think he is desiring also then that the church will care greatly about them and looks at them and says they have a special place in God's plan and in the revelation that led to Jesus. And so we should respect that these are the people of Israel. There is the covenant. They did receive the law, the temple worship, the promises, the patriarchs. All of these are coming from Abraham through Isaac, and they do hold a special place. And The church has sometimes forgotten that and has sometimes, I know, blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus, which is silly because, as we said, the first 10 years, it was a question whether you needed to be Jewish to become a Christian. And all of the writers in the New Testament, with the exception, we believe, of Luke, would be Jewish. So I find no place for anti-Semitism in a biblical-based Christianity. Now, that being said, Paul clearly desires for his people, so much so that he is willing to be cursed, that they come to know Jesus because what they have is not enough. What they have is incomplete. So, I don't intend to say here that there is a different path for salvation for someone who is Jewish or non-Jewish. That doesn't seem to be what Paul is saying. But let's go on and read the rest of this chapter. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are all his descendants are they all Abraham's children. 
On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who will regard it as Abraham's offspring. For this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Paul's words in this chapter remind me of both John the Baptist's words, when he is talking to the people and telling them, don't be so assured in being children of Abraham, that, and this is from Luke 3, that God can take these stones and raise up children of Abraham. Or Jesus' words from John 8, when he is telling them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things that Abraham did. And so Paul also is making this case for there are those who are the physical children of Abraham, But even in the first and second generations, we can see that not everyone who is a descendant of Abraham is counted as God's chosen. And he is making a case that there are spiritual descendants of Abraham. And in that, he would mean the rest of the Christianity that he claims as brothers and sisters who are not, like him, descendants of Abraham. Paul doesn't try to defend God's choice of choosing Jacob over Esau, but just that God gets to choose, because he goes on to say, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And so Paul is definitely painting a picture of God choosing, and God is the active actor in these verses that he is choosing to have mercy, not that anyone deserved mercy, but he is choosing to have mercy on Jacob, he is choosing to have mercy on Isaac rather than Ishmael, and he's choosing to have mercy on Moses rather than Pharaoh. And he goes on to say, One of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who will resist his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So again, Paul is saying, God is like the potter who is in charge, and God can have mercy on who he wants to have mercy on, and that God is working out a plan. 
that he bears with great patience the objects of his wrath, that he is calling people the objects of his mercy, who he's prepared in advance for glory. These are verses we would often say would have something to do with predestination or calling, but they have a lot to do with the plan of God, that God is has something in mind, that God is not just winging this whole thing, but has a plan that he is marching forward with that includes and invites us. And again, as we said last week, for God to have a plan does not take away our free will or our action or our responsibility, as he says in this. And then he also says that in this plan, God is calling people both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. And against that argument that I think that he is making for the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And he backs that up in verse 25 with verses from Hosea. And Hosea was one of those prophets who was sent to Israel when Israel was unfaithful. Hosea, as you may remember from the study that we did previously, was told to marry a prostitute as Israel had prostituted itself with other gods. And so in verse 25, he goes on and says, He says in Hosea, I will call my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And it will happen that in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty has left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have become like Gomorrah. So two themes here that are coming out of Hosea. One is a people that were not my people. And in this, Paul is saying those of us who were born Gentiles have been included now in the sons of God, been called out and now being called my people also. And then the second thing is this other theme, which is the theme of the remnant. And it's a very old testamental theme of that God doesn't give up on Israel ever. And there is always a remnant. There is always a set who are faithful to him, whether it be during the time of the captivity, whether it be when the all the rest of Israel is worshiping the Baal and other gods and sacrificing their children to the Asherah poles, that there is always a faithful remnant. We see that when the prophet Elijah says, and I alone remain, and God says no, I have saved for myself a remnant. And he starts listing off some other people who are faithful to him. And so Paul is saying, even if all of Israel is not faithful, even if all of Israel has not come to faith in Jesus, there is a remnant. Paul himself is one of that remnant that is both Jewish and still believes in Jesus as Messiah. And that God has marched on basically with this remnant and with these other people who have been called from other peoples. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
And so Paul, again, gets back to this theme here in Romans of this salvation by grace versus trying to work out something through a law, as if by works. Now, this is where we're going to end this particular episode of the Bible Study Podcast. I will announce that I have decided that the next study after Romans, and we've still got seven more chapters of Romans to deal with, I think we're going to do James. And James is a nice counterbalance to Romans because in Romans, Paul talks about this faith, not works. And in James, James talks about, yes, but... How can I see your faith if not by your works? And so that's going to be a counterbalance here to this particular study. So after we finish Romans, I encourage you to stay on for the study of the book of James. And again, we'll end this study here. And if you have any questions, send them to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.